I'm Matt Swain, and you're listening to the Reimagining Communications podcast, where we discuss the opportunities and challenges facing companies on the road to optimizing their communications for the future. Today, I'm joined by Chris Nicholson, who has over 20 years of experience in the healthcare and digital technology markets, and he's brought those worlds together as CEO of Mpulse Mobile, a company providing conversational AI solutions for the healthcare industry. Chris, thanks for joining me today. Absolutely, Matt. Very excited to be on the podcast with you today. I'm looking forward to the discussion and really appreciate you and Broadridge for supporting thought leadership and events like this. So thank you. Well, thank you for that, Chris. So talk to me a little bit about some of the the critical experiences and learnings from your journey over the last 20 plus years that brought you to where you are today. (laughs) Thank you. It has been uh, some of a journey, I think, when you put it like that, and I think of 20 years as I moved through companies like Verizon and technology startup companies in the communication space around uh, digital and even you know different voice technology, and then moving uh, about halfway through that and spent the last 15 years in healthcare, specifically at companies like Humana and then Impulse Mobile that uh, we started about five years ago to focus on the space. It's been really interesting, I think, as I moved from sort of a Midwestern guy in, in Louisville, Kentucky, and you know, undergraduate work at the University of Kentucky and then grad school at the University of Louisville, and then now working my way to Southern California. But I think I had some great experiences with those organizations and working around New York, Chicago, Miami, you know, Los Angeles, and and a lot of ability to travel internationally and learn about some of the capabilities that they were deploying there as well. Yeah, I'd like to start with Humana because that's where we first met when you were working at Humana and I was helping run the TransPromo Summit. And you and Nick Romano and the the Pranova team had come in to talk a little bit about the Humana Smart Summary. And I was actually going through the archives and I found a quote from you that I want to throw back at you on, on the Smart Summary. In this quote, you say, by using an integrated communications matrix, we could see what each Medicare and commercial member was receiving from us. With this, we have been much better equipped to develop relationships with our customers, as well as minimize unnecessary communications. That generated significant savings. Those all sound like really great things for the company, and I'd love to get the context for for how you got there. Oh, absolutely. Boy, that does bring back some interesting memories. So the integrated communications matrix was started out as, as fundamental as an Excel document and turned into a database, you know, learned and then turned into what we called this communications management platform. So it really evolved from sort of a simple structure. I wanted to know what were all of the communications that a health plan member was receiving on an annual basis. And that included outbound, you know, calls that we were making to welcome a member to, you know, the organization, letters, statements, EOBs, certificates, privacy notifications, letters, all of the different myriad of communications that we sent as an organization. And we were driving toward a goal of improving consumer experience and really reducing administrative costs. And sometimes those two things don't go together <laughs> as you have right. Some- misaligned goals. And so in that, we, we we found places where we were overspending that we could really redirect into much more effective channels. And I'll give you an example that was really interesting is when we put the matrix together and then we organized it in a histogram to show the people that we were communicating with the most, and then those were, were the least. And on the high end, we had about 20% of our population getting over a thousand. You're kidding me. So if you were if you were putting that in perspective and you were the person who is receiving 100 
each EOB was a separate letter. It was literally delivered as a separate, uh, you know, okay. with a 35 at the time sent stamp on every one. And so you can imagine just sort of solving for the problem on the 20% side was really significant. And people just didn't know what to do with the communications. They didn't know how to really absorb that much information. And then, of course, they would trigger a phone call, which added more cost into our call center at the time to basically say, explain all of these things that you sent to me. Um, and that triggered some really, really interesting work on the ethnographic surveys and, and focus groups that we did to really learn what did they want to receive. And so, yeah, that was some really interesting work at the beginning and started a whole lot of our, our careers. So. Well, just thinking about the the effort involved to put together a communications matrix for over a thousand communications, granted, there's some redundancy mm-hmm. in there, but still, that's, that's mm-hmm. quite an undertaking. And I, frankly, it's probably why we didn't see a lot of other companies doing that simplification at the time because and even today Mm -hmm. it's just it's a big undertaking and it's an important one that's right it's interesting to also to look at how that experience for you helped shape your progression taking your technology background and saying you know what i've gotten to know the healthcare space really well over the last 15 years why don't we create this company called Impulse Mobile? So I'd, I'd love to hear more about that company. And was this a an off-the-cuff, let's go do this? Or had you been seeing something coming over time that made that made this mm-hmm. make a lot of sense? Yeah, no, the, I think it was a bit of a trend that we were you know, seeing or wanted to participate in. And I think in many industries and financial services and things that are much more direct to consumer, moved more quickly in the space, you know, with self-service tools and other things being deployed digitally. And then healthcare was a, a really pretty tough movement to get that started because of concerns around privacy or information access that the financial services and other industries face as well. But there's that different healthcare layer around personal health information. And I just really got passionate about digital and about the mobile channels and SMS, secure messaging, and looked to bring some of those capabilities into you know, the organization into the healthcare setting, because so many of our consumers and the feedback that we're getting in these focus groups was, why can't you just send it to me on my phone, right? That's where they were connected. And when we did research with senior populations, whether Medicare or Medicaid populations, they, again, wanted to be communicated with over those devices. And so it was sort of the the aha moment for me and and had been at a great place in my career with Humana that said, I'm going to partner with some, some individuals that are really smart in this consumer space and look to go out in the market and create a solution specifically for digital engagement and true omni-channel engagement in uh, healthcare. And that was the impetus just now five years ago for Impulse Mobile. And so we've expanded significantly across the market now to over 100 enterprise healthcare companies being fully HIPAA compliant and high-trust certified. But moving into uh, what I really call now, I think, a, a new and a new transformational space of what we call conversational business or conversational messaging, uh, which I think is really the next evolution of how we engage our population. So can you describe that concept of conversational business? Yeah, absolutely. If, if you think about you know, the world that we were in probably over the last few generations was focused on more campaign-based messaging, and we looked at things like personas and segmentation and, and really good work along those lines, so much of that's evolved now because we have better data. And I mentioned the data challenges even with Smart Summer, we pulled a thousand plus data elements into a document to create a transformational communication, pulling in what were the most appropriate coupons and content and all of those things. 
And then we get into conversational business. We say, how do we do that actually at a one-to-one level? And mobile allows you to do that in a much easier way than every single letter being unique or every single letter being different, right? And so conversational business allows for us to shift from campaign to conversation, where now I can send a message to Matt Swain about, you know, maybe it's a reminder to pick up a medication. You know, it could be about an appointment notification, a reminder to get a preventative service screening. And then you respond back and say, hey, I'm running late. My dog got out, right? Or, you know, can you push it back 30 minutes? Or, yes, I took the medication and I've got these side effects, right? Right. And, and conversational business allows for you to have the ability to have machine learning and natural language understanding respond and then tailor appropriately. So the platform then responds and says, okay, Matt, thanks for letting us know you're running late. We'll notify the physician. And all that happens within the system and it all happens within milliseconds and feels like a real conversation that creates high levels of efficiency and then high levels of consumer engagement as well. And so it's been really fun over the last few years to play with this digital channel and, and build those types of interactions. We've been watching that, that emergence in, in other markets and other channels. I haven't seen personally as much of that in, from a healthcare perspective. So I, I'd love to better understand why conversational business is important in healthcare and, and maybe more importantly, what kind of reception are you getting? Certainly you've, you're making mm-hmm. inroads, but I'd love to hear the pushback that you might receive, but also the, you, where companies are really seeing value in what you're delivering. Yeah, absolutely. The, the things I think that are most interesting where traction is holding, and, and I'll tell you a little bit about the populations too. Today, over 92% of all phones are actually smartphones, right? You know, versus the old mm-hmm. flip phone models and things. So most of the marketplace has really good adoption. You know, more than 80% of even seniors are messaging on a daily basis. And when you get into lower income populations of Medicaid and things of that nature, uh, typically you're messaging at a rate two to one other demographics like yourself and myself and others. We also see that in the recent studies, 63% of the consumers prefer a chat-based interaction with businesses where it's more casual or more conversational because that's the way they typically engage over that channel of SMS or secure messaging. It's very quick responses. It could be a thumbs up emoji to affirm your appointment. It could be a, yep, I'm going to make it, or nope, I can't, right? And we have to be able to interpret all of those different types of responses. And so when you look at the 63% sort of response rates that are coming in from those types of things, it's, it's much higher than we would get from email communications or even answer rates on outbound voice or IVR. And so it's becoming the more widely adopted strategy. The areas of pushback, I think, are, are the same and consistent regardless of channel, which is preference. And you and I have talked a lot about this, I think, in, in the past and in, in the old trans promotional days. But, you know, what are the consumer's preferences for the type of communication, the frequency of communication, the content or relevance to that information? That still remains consistent. And so we have to really listen to consumers as they guide us based on those response rates as well. So are there other challenges that your clients are facing in communicating and engaging with their customers effectively? I think that they typically are coming to us or you know, working with partners because they're looking for more of a multi-channel strategy. Mm-hmm. So one of the challenges, you know, I, I can't reach them in the channel that I was initiating, right? I, I sent a survey out in the mail, but I didn't get a response rate that I was looking for, or I did an outbound call, but I'm not getting responses. And so it's typically access through those different channels and trying to find 
the right or most effective modality. I would say secondarily, I think data is still one of the largest challenges. Again, whether it's access to email addresses, phone numbers, you know very well the challenges even just with with addresses, right? And keeping address information current and, and validated becomes a challenge for a lot of the partners. We also would say that the real-time nature of a communication is a challenge because we want to be able to send out immediately a request and consumers expect to have an immediate response. And so making sure we've got frameworks set up for these communications where they say, hey, has my claim been paid? Or they text in and say, what's my account balance? Or do I have funds available for this? And they're asking really open-ended questions and expecting responses back to those. And so that flows in and we have to then look through the right workflows, the right APIs, plug in the right systems to navigate that. So I think the data models around it are getting much, much cleaner from a consumer 360 view and will always continue to be a challenge as we add a lot of data into the processes. So from there, what are some of the core use cases that companies are leveraging and where are they seeing value? I'll talk a little bit about inside healthcare and then I'll, I'll go a little bit outside because we're always trying to look at capabilities that exist there that we can learn from. Um, I think some of the, the broadest would be things around self-service that's inside and outside of healthcare. And so where you can provide answers, responses to administrative questions or functions, again, driving that cost savings becomes really key. And so somebody texting in and saying, I lost my ID card or something to that effect. And then the response that triggers not only be great will trigger a reorder. And then that creates an event and a workflow and a platform. And so it really takes the human interaction out of that equation. We do a lot of work in medication adherence, gaps in care, closure to help support and drive people to preventive services, appointment reminders, a lot of new member onboarding inside and outside of healthcare to make people aware of services that they can leverage with their plan or with their partner. We do work for companies around order refill management, like a company like a Medtronic and sure. communicating when we're shipping products and delivering things that sort of fall into those transactional basis. And so it spans, I think, from highly transactional to then highly conversational. We've always sort of looked at the market on a continuum of engagement to that effect. But yeah, really, really great outcomes. And I think that's the piece that we push for is how do we measure the success again or the effectiveness of a, a program? So there's always this magic behind the scenes. When we talk about machine learning, for instance, for the layman, there's always a question of, okay, okay so what? So, so when we look at the concept of conversational AI, Talk to me a little bit more about what's happening that's helping you get smarter about how you communicate with members and policyholders. Happy to. No, great point. I think this conversational AI concept or conversational business is really interesting in how it combines things like that natural language understanding capability. And machine learning is the glue, I think, that holds a lot of this together. And so you've got things like these automated workflows. You have the content, which are the responses that effectively says when the person says, yep, you know, I'll make my appointment or what do you say back? Right. Or when they say, no, I can't make it. Or yes, I took the medication and it gave me an upset stomach. Right. right. So building the content libraries and the rules to be able to respond appropriately for those types of things that they may say, you know, that's a really, really key component of it. And that machine learning becomes the engine 
to make decisions and increase the probability of success and then the interactions. And we even look to measure things, what we call an activation score of the sentiment of the response. How quickly did the consumer respond to the message? How long was that response? And helps us really with the understanding of how close we were to core to what they were driving for. And then we still actually use people in many cases where we look back at the content, we work through our behavioral data science team to understand that and look at how many of the conversations we were successfully closing in process and then continue to refine and improve that as well. And so it improves the effectiveness and again, that ongoing engagement with consumers. Earlier, you were talking about tailoring of communications. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about what you mean by tailoring and what data you would need in order to tailor. Sure. From a a data perspective, I think, you know, what we look at today predominantly is obviously any clinical information that we can get from our health partners, address, zip code, and zip code today in at least a healthcare setting is probably one of the biggest determinants of health and health activation that we're finding in the marketplace. There can be as much as a 20-year difference in life expectancy from one zip code to the next. And so, you know, do we really understand the why behind it? No, but the efficacy or engagement becomes really, really critical there. We try to learn what the health beliefs are, the types of engagement that we're, that we're managing to, but again, a bridge between demographic to clinical information, and then anything that we can learn through the process of engaging. And, and we call sort of activation is uh, data would be things like how quickly they respond, what types of content do they engage around and those things. And so pulling that data in becomes really key. And where you see tailoring around that is that if I'm messaging you around maybe getting flu, uh, a flu shot in the fall or preventive services, if you don't have a place to get that flu shot within 30 or 60 miles of your home, it's probably not going to be that effective. And so I need to make sure that we know those types of things in advance and so that we're communicating effective, effectively. If we're guiding you around, you know, um, getting medications from a lower cost alternative or a particular pharmacy, and that's not convenient, then maybe we should be suggesting mail order if you live in a rural area or something to that effect. So just simply knowing more about the consumer helps us navigate and avoid some, some negativity that may come back from less relevant communications. Does that make sense? It does. And, and we had done some research on customer experience and, and found that one in four consumers had actually changed providers because that provider had done a poor job of personalizing content for them. And what what is a poor job? Is it they didn't personalize? Is it that they tried and they screwed up? Or is it that they shared too much information that came off as creepy in terms of how much they actually know? I was looking at some some other data from a from a healthcare study that we had done earlier this year with the Center for Generational Kinetics. And in that study, we were looking at consumer comfort with their health insurer's website and app. And we found that only 24% found that the website or app was rated as excellent or that they would rate it as excellent. (laughs) And when I compare that to the work we do in customer experience and what makes a great customer experience, it's not the healthcare institutions that tend to score highly. It tends to be financial services and banking. And when you ask consumers what differentiates those those companies from the rest of their providers, one of the top responses is customer service. And it seems like this offering, the, the role of conversational AI in healthcare could help 
improve that experience and can change the sentiment of the average consumer? I think those are some great points. And, and like you said, on the consumer experience design, really understanding the triggers, really looking at what is valuable. It's interesting you bring up the piece around sort of that net promoter you know, concept or sort of the, you know, the effectiveness of those different um, programs. Healthcare, like you said, scores at the very, or near the bottom, I shouldn't say the very bottom. I think cable companies are below (laughs) healthcare companies um, as it relates to consumer experience. Financial services, like you said, rates much higher. And I think those are the things that we're trying to bridge and bring into the sector to give those tools. Uh, We're seeing things around conversational AI or responsive messaging happening now in retail. You know, companies like 1-800-Flowers or others are building some really interesting, rich communication services types of dialogues that we're starting now to introduce in the healthcare setting. I think those would be really interesting to bridge into financial services and others uh, if they're not already moving into that market, because they really do, I think, look much more deeply at that experience design before they get started in building communications. That's excellent. So if, if you look out five to 10 years how do you expect healthcare communications and engagement strategies to continue to evolve? Yeah, boy, as I look forward, I think that there are a few things that we are working on today that we still need to do a much better job at. And then there are a few things that push us into the, the George Jetson future world. Sure. And I would say the things we need to do better at is still focused on your question that you asked earlier, which was around preferences like your example around where people weren't happy with that particular provider, maybe content relevancy, or again, preference of what they've effectively shared and how they actually engage. And so we still see a lot of areas where understanding and capturing preferences is not perfect. And I think we need to do a ton of work in that space, what channels they're interested in, what types of content, all of those things are really key. If we start to look near-term future and then farther future, I think voice is is a really big deal. A lot of attention around the Alexa, Siri, and sort of Google voice capabilities. These have different applications in many, many industries from retail, financial services, healthcare, and others. And how we think of these, you know, these tools or these skills that can be deployed where you just literally yell out in the room, you know, hey, Alexa, you know, check on blank for me or you know, thinking about the security parameters around those within your household and others, I think, become things that our healthcare customers are sort of more nervous about, but still want to be at the tip of the spear and move into those industries. And then the one that we chatted about a little bit was rich communication services. That is actually a really interesting bridge, and I think will be transformative in the, you know, really impacting the app space. RCS allows you to truly leverage the messaging window, your SMS framework that you have on your Android or iOS, and bring in capabilities that you typically would only see within an app. And so having buttons and icons and being able to use swipes across the screen to actually select and activate and engage really diminishes the need to have a consumer ever download an app again in the future. So if I can send a text message that allows you to look at a product, select which product you want, and then actually confirm order and actually pay using the services on your phone already with never having to download an app, never having to go and, and get another service, you're probably going to use that path of least resistance and just stay within your message ecosystem and that what, what we call messaging as a platform. And I think that's going to have some pretty big implications on the app development ecosystem. And they're all looking at how they get on board with this new capability too. So to me, that's the one to watch in that five-year window 
where we saw a huge ramp up with north of 500,000 apps being developed just for the um, healthcare setting in the Apple store today. And we start to see that actually now really diminish where people aren't building those types of app capabilities. They're looking for alternate sources. That'll be the interesting one for me and the types of use cases that we all can deploy off of that rich communication services or that in-app messaging capability. Excellent. Well, Chris, thank you so much for joining me today. You are very welcome, Matt. I love the thought leadership that you continue to provide in the market and the industry, and I just really appreciate you having me on today. Thank you. I'm Matt Swain, and you've been listening to the Reimagining Communications podcast. If you like this episode and think someone else would too, please share it, leave a review, and don't forget to subscribe. To learn more about Broadridge, our insights, and our innovations, visit broadridge.com or find us on Twitter and LinkedIn.